the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Looking for strategies to help you protect your portfolio in these uncertain times? Visit RobBlack.com. RobBlack.com. Powered by EP Wealth. Welcome in. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Couple of things to chit chat about. Markets have turned ugly. Real ugly, in fact. Um, not Pearl Harbor ugly, but today marks the anniversary of the 1945 attack on Pearl Harbor, which led the United States into entering World War II. I grew up in a military family. Um, those days meant something to military men for sure. Pearl Harbor is home to one of the Navy's four public shipyards and its largest industrial employer in Hawaii. They do a lot of maintenance on nuclear submarines there. It's kind of a neat little side fact, right? Yeah, say the NASDAQ was down 2%. The S&P 500 down 1.4%. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 1%. 10-year Treasury sits at a limp, 3.5% limp, I'm saying, because it's definitely not feeling the economy is roaring but that we're setting ourselves up for a recession caused by, induced by the Federal Reserve, um, which is not necessarily a negative thing because their hope is to destroy the runaway inflation, which is hurting the middle class and lower class pretty aggressively. And it's starting to show more and more signs of that. Stocks closed lower yesterday for the fourth straight day. You had a lot of CEOs from Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley talk about layoffs that they're doing. About 2% of their workforce at Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs said more employees uh, could be cut. Meta got knocked down off a wave of bad headlines as well. Um, So a lot of people are saying recession. A lot of people are getting in front of CNBC. This is the most obvious recession we've seen in a long time. Therefore, does it happen? I know that sounds like a crazy, uh, why are you going there with that kind of questioning, Rob? If, if it's this obvious, A, get ready for it, and B, what happens if it doesn't happen? But I'd say be ready. So Raphael Warnock won Georgia's runoff election yesterday, defeating former football running back Herschel Walker and giving the Democrats a 51-49 majority in the Senate. This is the first time. Remember how we always talk about, oh, the stock market tends to rally at holidays. The stock market tends to sell in May and go away. This is the first time where a market cycle um, didn't play out. Not a stock market, but a midterm cycle. First time since 1934 where the president's party didn't lose a Senate seat. Democrats actually picked one up. Therefore, what I'm trying to say is try not to get too caught up in this is definitely going to happen because history says it will repeat itself. A North Carolina attack exposed the electric infrastructure in the United States. Um, This is not the first time this has happened. After 9-11, I remember very clearly 
states like California talking about how protected is our infrastructure, our trains from terrorist attacks, and even our power stations from terrorist attacks. So what happened in North Carolina, two basically power stations, substations, I guess they're called, uh, were attacked with gunfire Saturday night. Um, and this is during freezing temperature time back on the East Coast. Schools have been closed through at least tomorrow. There's a countrywide 9 p.m. curfew until further notice. A countywide, excuse me. <laughs> countrywide. Whoopsie. So power outages hit about 45,000 customers Saturday night. Authorities have looked at it, saying the damage in some of the equipment beyond repair. And why would someone do this? It confirmed a suspect or a motive. They have not confirmed a suspect or a motive, but did say this was no accident. Um, that there's been some theories swirling around social media that an attack aimed to disrupt a drag show. Um, because the attack happened around 7 p.m., the drag show. And yes, I'm talking drag queen show. Yes. Would that be enough reason for people to attack the electrical grid? I don't know. But I'm telling you, it's giving potential terrorists and whether domestic or international. Oh, that's a pretty good idea to wipe out power. So how do we handle that? I remember back after 9-11, we talked about more cameras and more security around power substations. That sounds like, oh, right? Arizona is getting one of the biggest foreign investments in U.S. history. Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing announced a $40 billion investment in chip-making facilities in Phoenix, Arizona. The Taiwanese powerhouse had already planned to invest $12 billion in Arizona, but due to the continued supply chain disruptions coming out of China's COVID zero policy, as well as COVID issues around the world and shipping, uh, make the semiconductors closer to home, less of a semiconductor bottleneck in the future. Biden is hyping the project to show that, you know, we were able to get a $40 billion investment into our country. I, I It's not a bad thing. The question is, can we make semiconductors with labor as cheap as they're made overseas in the United States? Or is Apple going to have to find ways around increasing productivity, cutting costs, or raising prices? Um, Elsewhere out there, unused office in Twitter's headquarters have been turned into bedrooms. This is a story that just keeps on giving, right? Elon Musk had the office space converted to bedrooms as a way to save costs when people come to work from out of town and is having one built for himself. Warner Media's former CEO predicts only three major entertainment companies will survive the streaming wars. We will see some consolidation. <clears throat> I feel that there are too many, and I feel that my spouse is like, ooh, ooh, something's on Hulu, get to Hulu. And then she forgets to cancel it. Ooh, ooh, something's on Netflix, get Netflix. You get the idea. Ooh, ooh. Apple's facing two lawsuits over its AirTags. Two women are suing the company over the device, saying their former partners hid AirTags in a car and a child's backpack and used the gadgets to stalk them. Lovely. 
Apple's delaying its long-rumored self-driving car until 2026 per Bloomberg. Apple is also scaling back its ambitious plans for a fully autonomous vehicle, saying that it'll only be self-driving on highways. That sounds about right. I can tell you as a person who rides in the Tesla on occasion, it's not self-driving in any way, shape, or form. It can do it pretty effectively on the interstate, but it also can create moments of panic on the interstate. If you're not very comfortable with wide lanes becoming thin lanes, thin lanes becoming wide lanes, you get the idea. Um, Opening bell. Today, we're seeing a little bit of a negative market. Um, It is a continuation of the CEOs coming out and basically saying a recession is coming. A recession is coming. The Paul Revere. Um, I would say we have to get through next week before we have any hopes of any sustained short-term rally. NASDAQ's down 57. The Dow Jones Industrial Average up 22. The S&P 500's down fractions. Rent prices are falling for a third straight month. We're going to need about six more months of that. Inflation doesn't go away quickly. It goes away stubbornly. Typically with job losses, it goes away quicker. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. Don't want to work forever? Check out the retirement planning guide on robblack.com. That's robblack.com, powered by EP Wealth. One of the more popular questions I get is if I could only read one source of information on money and investing, what would it be? It's probably Barron's. I hate to limit it just to one, but B-A-R-R-O-N-S. There's an online version. There's a paper version. I've always liked the paper version as well as the online version. See, I can't even boil it down to one form of uh, consumption. But there's a great article today from Liz on Saunders, Liz Ann Saunders. And um, I really like her as a strategist. So we'll talk about that and much, much more. But first and foremost, let's bring in Tony Mendez, host of um, a show here on KDO Debut. Tony is a longtime personal mortgage lender of mine. He's here to give us a little bit of insight into what's happening in the lending market as he's in the front lines of it. Part of creating wealth is investing, it's earning, it's saving, it's real estate, it's insurance, it's 401ks. Tony, how are you? I'm good. Good morning. So tell us a little about the radio show you do and when we can find it, because I think it's on twice now a week. It's called the Real Estate Report. It's uh, based on real estate and mortgage kind of updates news. It's an opinion. Uh, we follow a lot of trends that are going on with realtors, uh, sellers, buyers, interest rates. Uh, you know, it's an informative show that uh, we've been doing for about 13 years. It's on Wednesdays at between two and three, and then it replays on Thursday evenings at 6 p.m. Perfect. So, what are we seeing with the holiday season right now? Because it's December 7th, we're fourth the way through the final month of the year. What's going on in the mortgage market? Yeah, it's slowing down. Uh, we've seen some of the biggest news that we've been watching is a lot of sellers are pulling back their listings. We've seen some of the uh, over 2% pullback on what they call um, delistings. And it's the highest that they've seen in a long time. In fact, I think they use the word record. So there's a lot of sellers are pulling back their properties. They just don't want them sitting on the market uh, so long. So we're at 
days on market that we haven't seen almost doubled since last year. So a lot of sellers just get nervous when that house sits on the property on the market for so long. Uh, but that's good news for for buyers because once you see those properties sitting on the market longer, you you have more sellers that are willing to you know either drop the price or give you concessions. And then then you work with a mortgage and there's you know rates are, have dipped. So there's a good combination going on right now if you're a buyer, um, especially during the holidays because you have those motivated sellers. Now, there's something that I always learn new things from you in the mortgage market, a long-term lock. What is a long-term lock and why should we care? Well, we should care if we're concerned that interest rates are going to keep going up um, and trending on a higher level for a long period of time, like six months or even a year. That's And you're buying a house. So we recently saw the 10-year yield on the bond drop from, oh, you know, we haven't seen this level since September. So it's down considerably, which is the indicator for mortgage rates. So mortgage rates are basically down one percentage point from their high that we saw. Uh, Freddie Mac had it at 7.08 as a 20-year high. And as they dip, it's good to take advantage of these these dips with a long-term lock. You can do a 30 days, which is pretty standard, all the way up to 180 days. So if you feel like this is a good time to lock, that's what lenders are recommending. Some lenders charge you for those long-term advance locks. Some lenders don't. We have a combination of both. And then you can customize the length based on your purchasing period. Sounds good. As I don't think anything feels like it should be rushed at this point in time. Uh, people can contact you at www.bayarealonesource.com. They can listen to the show later today at 2, The Real Estate Report with Tony Mendez. Any last-second tips, hints, or tricks? Start early. Uh, you know, it's still buyers are I'm sorry, sellers are going to still think it's a seller's market. You still have to come with a good clean approval and, and and good money down and and good credit. If you want to start early, so you get all those things out of the way, so the sellers see a good offer. Thanks very much. It's Tony Mendez. He's going to be doing my next loan. I'm expecting to buy one more property, at least one more property in my lifetime, my retirement home, or at least uh, maybe a second one, an income and retirement type of home investment. I'm working 18 months from now with that perspective of accumulating a down payment, as well as cleaning up my credit and figuring out the right market, as well as the right mortgage for me. Tony is someone who can do that for you at www.bayarealonesource.com. Speaking of real estate, rent prices fell for a third straight month in November. Apartment rents across the United States recorded a third consecutive monthly decline. This is good news and this is bad news. No, it's not bad news. This is good news. Um, I guess you would say it's bad news if you're a landlord, right? So rents typically dip this time of year. It's not just normal seasonality this year, though. You're seeing markets like Arizona, um, Phoenix, and Las Vegas, both showing year-over-year declines, which is where we need to get to make the Federal Reserve go, oh, yes, yes, we've beaten inflation. Two of the areas that take the longest, obviously, are home mortgages, what we're paying for our mortgage payment, as well as rents. On a year-over-year basis, national effective rent growth for new leases came in at 6.5%. So year-over-year, all the markets equal 6.5% growth, down from a peak of 15.7% rent increases year-over-year. So we're getting more humane, but up 6.5% still feels pretty gross, to say out loud. It feels kind of like uncomfortable, muggy. 
declines in asking rents as apartment occupancy has fallen slightly below pre-pandemic levels due to weak new leasing demand. Occupancy sits at 95% right now, 95.1%. In 2019 levels were 95.6%. Yesterday, I did a story that um, corporate money is starting to flow into um, even lower income type of scenarios for housing with trailer parks. Pretty interesting way if you follow money, it shows you where you can ring out the most profit to this day. And it's falling from apartments right now down into uh, even lower income brackets of trailer parks. One minute. So this is slightly good news. Well, it's good news if you're trying to fight inflation. But again, are we where we want to be? No. Still 6.5%, still pretty high. But Phoenix and Las Vegas have dipped into negative numbers year over year. Apple said they're delaying its long-rumored... Well, Apple didn't say. Bloomberg said Apple is delaying its long-rumored self-driving car until 2026 and shifting its futuristic design to include a steering wheel and a driver's seat. Um, the dream was to build a fully autonomous vehicle that needed I, neither a steering wheel nor pedals. It's called Titan. The project is Apple's Titan. Would have allowed riders to coast through city streets, sitting like passengers in a limousine. I think Apple is sobering up that the future is not quite as autonomous as we want it to be in movies. You can find me online at robblackshow.com. Questions about Social Security? Check out the Social Security Retirement Guide at robblack.com. That's robblack.com, powered by EP Wealth. So the Fed Reserve and a core reading on inflation come out next week with actionable items. This week, we're seeing some data. It's not a very big week, to be honest with you. But here's one that I pulled for you. We just already got rents down. Still up 6.5% year over year. But I just saw freight rates from China to the West Coast down 90% as global trade falls off fast. In the last year, we've talked a lot about shipping costs and how they're skyrocketing and how companies like Walmart and Target are scrambling for their own freighters. Um, in their own cargo angles so as to control their cost. This is a data point that the Fed will look at. It is not the only data point, but it is one that is showing disinflation or deflation. Let's bring on Patrick O'Hare from briefing.com, a regular guest for 20 plus years, a market strategist. How are you, Mr. O'Hare? Hey, Rob, I'm doing fine. Thanks. So just a quick tip into you. There's a big article on Lizanne Saunders in this weekend's Baron or this week's Barons. And uh, you were the one who tipped me off it. You enjoy reading her content. So I'll be checking that out later in the morning. Um, what are you seeing on your page one and current market strategy? Well, we have a market that's kind of uh, shifting gears, if you will. Uh, it's been in a uh, downshift of late. Um mm-hmm. And it's happened a little bit abruptly, probably more so than people would have expected. We obviously had the really strong response to uh, Fed Chair Powell's speech last week, uh, but that has uh, that's been undone completely here. Um, a couple factors driving that: one uh, appears to be just a what some market watchers would call a technical factor, as the S and P 500 uh, was unable to hold a posture above its 200-day moving average. Uh, and then another factor, I think, is what we're seeing uh, in this interrelationship between 
falling stock prices and falling treasury yields uh, that also include a deepening inversion along that treasury yield curve. Um, you know, not that long ago when we saw yields come down sharply, you'd often would see the stock market rally. Um, and of late, you've seen stock prices actually trade lower as treasury yields have traded lower. And we think that that reflects a little bit of a, a mind shift in that uh, the worries about a recession uh, are overtaking the, you know, the optimism, so to speak, about any potential reopening in China as it relaxes its COVID restrictions. And so this is an important dynamic to watch here because, uh, you know, we think it also reflects a, a growing awareness that, uh, or concern anyway, that earnings estimates for 2023 are too high and uh, market participants being worried about downward revisions are now less inclined to pay up for every dollar of earnings. And I think we're really, really seeing it happen in real time. Bank of America had a very difficult day yesterday. Um, JP Morgan, Wells Fargo, Morgan Stanley, Citigroup, all the big banks have kind of pulled back. I have pulled back, not kind of pulled back, but have pulled back. Can I ask a really odd question of, if it's so obvious that a recession's coming, not is it really coming, but what do you do about an obvious, like no brainer? Like it's is it usually telegraphed like this? Because I don't remember that it was usually telegraphed like this from past recessions. And that's just my brain being kind to a negative scenario. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I think there's um, <clears throat> it was more transparency, I guess, as far as the uh, communication out of the Fed. Uh, now, some people would argue that they're still not, you know, they're still kind of wishy-washy in what they're saying. But I think versus other periods, you now have a, a you do have a Fed led by Fed Chair Powell that seems to be committed to uh, being um, direct uh, and current and upfront with the market about you know, what it's likely to do. And, uh, you know, what it's likely to do is keep raising interest rates. Uh, and I think, you know, a lot of people who've been in the markets a long time recognize, of course, that uh, the Fed has kind of been always uh, seemingly play a part in in contributing to those past recessions. And I think there's a, a concern or an understanding that the, the rapid pace of these increases uh more than likely will drive the economy into a recession. And so you have kind of both the blend of, uh, you know, veteran participants who who recognize that, you know, a spike in interest rates typically will, you know, invite that recession paired with, you know, some younger participants or less experienced participants who've only known a Fed to be friendly. And uh, and so you you kind of you know you're getting this again back using the word mind shift again you're you're seeing this mind shift now as uh, veteran market watchers see a return to normalization while perhaps some less experienced market watchers uh, see a a move that is wholly uh, you know foreign to them and uh, and are you know, getting on board now with the idea that the veteran market watchers know what they're talking about. And, uh, and therefore everybody is reducing their, their risk concentrations worried about that recession that uh, will likely be seen sometime in 2023. And it's just ultimately a matter of what type of recession will it be short and shallow or, or deep and long. And, uh, and that's the great uncertainty right now. I, I hate to go so early to this question, but what are you working on right now or what else do we need to chat about? Because 
I'm out of questions <laughs> and it's a little bit early for me. I, I, but also I don't want to talk about the Senate. It's there's some things that I'm just uh, editing on the fly. Right. So, well, you know, you and I, Rob, we've talked all year long about the federal reserve. I mean, that's been the focal point for, for the market, um, you know, for quite some time. And, one of the things I'll probably be working on uh, and looking at um, is, you know, uh, the, the Federal Open Market Committee, it, it changes every year in terms of the voting members. Uh, the New York Fed president has a permanent vote on that committee, as do the Fed governors. Uh, but there's uh, four presidents that rotate in and out from year to year. And usually around this time, um, you know, I'll, I'll do a piece on kind of a uh, an introduction to who the new voting members will be and okay. try to provide some perspective on how they, where their leanings are, hawkish or dovish, right? Um, and, uh, and of course, they're going to have their, their first go at it at the January FOMC meeting. So the current slate, you know, which has been certainly more hawkish-minded, uh, is about to cast its last vote uh, on this 2022 FOMC. And uh, and we'll give way to new voting members. And so just try to uh, highlight for our readers and our subscribers, you know, who's coming in and who's leaving. With that said, um, are you seeing enough in inflation um, peaking? Has it peaked, in your opinion? And are we starting to see some of the data points like rents coming down today, still six and a half percent year over year growth? But we're starting to see some of the more frothier markets like Vegas and Phoenix year over year, they're down on rents. Um, is there going to be a flag that we can see? Is there going to be a, a moment that is clear that inflation has been beaten? Or is it more a work in progress? Well, I do think that inflation has peaked. Um, okay. And now it's a matter of, you know, the pace of progress for the Fed's, you know, a 2% target. Um you know, the things you just talked about are all going to work in the favor of, of you know, moving in the inflation trend towards that target. But I think what Fed Chair Powell did last week was kind of put the market on notice that it's really keen on those uh, on, on wages. Um, and we certainly still have uh, from, you know, as far as the Fed's concerned, uh, too much wage inflation. And and that's going to be the focal point that will, I think, really convince the the market, you know, as to whether the, the Fed is done raising rates, um, you know, has longer to go or, you know, may eventually pivot to a you know rate cut cycle. Um, you know, the Fed's not giving any indication that it's anywhere close to cutting rates right now. But uh, I would just advise your listeners and our readers that, uh, you know, those wage trends are, are going to be key in trying to ascertain, you know, when that pivot eventually comes from the Federal Reserve. It's interesting that you brought up a couple uh, words today that really have stuck in my head. All we've known is a Fed-friendly type of response. And then you just said the word, they're nowhere near cutting rates. And I was like, ah, oh, bummer. And it's just my brain saying, like, the Fed can be the Calvary sometimes, but don't expect them this time to show up and, quote, unquote, save the markets. Um, any last thoughts? We have about a minute and a half. Yeah. Well, if I can, if I can add one one sure. thing that might be a little bit of a ray of uh, sunshine here uh, relative to what we just talked about, you know, remember that Fed Chair Powell also said, you know, not long before the Fed actually raised rates, the Fed is no is, isn't anywhere close to even thinking about thinking about 
raising interest rates, you right. know, and lo and behold, you had a rate hike not long thereafter. And so now you're hearing them say, you know, we're, or allude that they're not anywhere close to cutting rates. And so I wouldn't get, you know, cemented to that one, you know, line of, of uh, explanation because the Fed has shown that it can quickly change its mind and, and it will watch the data. And if the data really does change rapidly, then you'll start hearing more talk about, uh, you know, potential rate cuts uh, perhaps sooner than expected. Well, as always, I want to say thank you for your efforts and let me give a good plug into briefing.com. Thanks very much. Um, it's Patrick O'Hare with briefing.com. I start my day every day with his page one. As always, they are a reliable source of domestic and international news that you can use. Um, there's a lot of content there. His quote to start the day or his headline was sellers have been holding the reins of late sellers have controlled the market action thus far this week for the better part of the last two weeks to that end the s&p 500 has declined in seven of the last eight trading sessions i dig his stuff i dig his insights and um he was gracious enough to point out that he likes some of the writings of liz on saunders she's in barons this week another good reliable source even keel with Barron's uh, briefing.com. I like both sources enormously. You can find me online at robblackshow.com. This interview featured on the Rob Black Show is brought to you by EP Wealth. Learn more at robblack.com. I would love to get an email from you if you have taken autonomous taxi ride yet. I've seen some of the videos on YouTube. They're pretty entertaining, whether they be in Phoenix or Vegas, of people getting into a car without a human being. Uber riders can now hail an autonomous ride in Las Vegas for the first time ever. Uber has done it. Uber has long talked about autonomous vehicles as key to its growth, first with its founder, Travis Kalanick, and then later with current CEO for its part. Today's announcement is a result of Uber's partnership with a company called Motional, a team up that was first announced um, in October. Motional has proven themselves to be an industry leader, safely progressing through autonomous technology towards a driverless future. They're thrilled to take the step with Uber in Vegas. Sounds like a press release. They're continuing to look forward to integrating autonomous technologies into the Uber network to grow the business by providing customers with additional reliable, affordable, and effortless transportation. Here's a question. Okay, so here's how the process works. You're at the airport. You hail an Uber. You see that it's going not to have a driver that's going to be autonomous. You have to opt in. Then you get into the vehicle, you have to opt in again. Which would you feel better with, a driver or a non-driver? In theory, non-drivers are going to be safer than drivers over time. The partnership between Uber and Hyundai-backed Motional covers both ride-hailing and delivery. Motional and Uber linked up to offer autonomous deliveries in Santa Monica, California as well. Um, they've recently announced some job cuts at Motional, but nothing aggressive. Aggressive on the corporate side, not on the technology side. But you might remember back in 2018, Uber had been involved with a self-driving car all the way back to 2015. But in 2018, one of the company's driverless cars had an emergency backup driver in place. It still struck and killed a pedestrian in Arizona in what was believed to be the first death linked to self-driving vehicles. We're not hearing about a lot of them, but you do hear about them and you're like, oh, Uber sold its self-driving business unit to Amazon and Sequoia back to Roar in a deal valued at $10 billion. They've been kind of in and out with the self-driving. 
Um, I like that story. Um, here's a question. Do you tip a robo-taxi or do you not tip a robo-taxi? And does it truly save money? Time will tell, right? So Liz Ann Saunders is featured in today's articles in Barron's, B-A-R-R-O-N-S. She is the chief investment strategist. She sees potential trouble still ahead, especially as investors have yet to come to terms with the Federal Reserve not flipping from rising rate, raising rates to cutting them anytime soon, barring a crisis. Um, of note, if there was a nuclear accident, if there was a terrorist strike, the Fed probably would cut interest rates overnight. And again, that's speculative, but historical nonetheless. Saunders said the S&P 500 looked healthier under the surface when it hit lows in October compared to when it hit lows in mid-June. So is the worst over? She thinks it's encouraging. Um, you know, more boxes need to be checked to get sense that the worst may be behind us. There are still some signs that suggested it's not going to be smoothing selling ahead. I like her frank approach. Quote, the Fed has said the labor market needs to weaken further. Housing doesn't show signs of stabilizing and analyst forward earnings expectations still need to come down. When will the Fed pivot? Her first boss, Liz Ann Saunders. So it was a guy named Marty Zweig. He came up with the phrase, don't fight the Fed. And it's actually a really good lesson to end today's session on. The Fed has been fighting the market, Saunders says. Each surge in optimism, the Fed may be nearing an end to the tightening, just loosens financial conditions. Exactly the opposite of what the Fed wants to see. A weaker or more volatile stock market plus weakness in labor markets are features at this point of what the Fed's trying to do. So we need to see that first Friday every month. We need to start seeing that unemployment rate scooch a little bit higher or the employment rate. Um, how many people are working, how many people are working second jobs. There's a lot of data inside that employment report on the first Friday of the month. Saunders is a crypto skeptic. If you're a crypto fan, plug your ears right now. She's referred to it as a cult rather than a currency. She sees the meltdown of cryptocurrencies as part of the unwinding of speculative bubbles, the ripple effects of cryptocurrency exchange FTX's bankruptcy and potential for contagion are still unclear. On the bright side, it's that much of the crypto activity has taken place outside the traditional financial system, and it has not weakened the banks like Bear Stearns, um, got weakened by the mortgage crisis back in the early 2000s. Um, so it's not going to be a contagion inside of our lending, inside the big part of our economy, but it is a problem to speculative retail investors, mostly. So, um, so she's not the biggest fan. She says, we're already seeing signs of breakage. Whether we look back and say FTX was the worst of it, that'd be lovely. So again, she is a voice of reason. In my opinion, you may hate her. I get it. A lot of investors allocations of foreign stocks have dwindled recent years. A reason Saunders recommends investors rebalance to own a decent amount of non-U.S. stocks for the next market cycle. Saunders also recommends investors look beyond the broad categories of value and growth for the next legs of the market. She thinks putting blinders on, like calling yourself a monolithic growth investor or a monolithic uh, value investor, is shorting yourself. 
The types of companies to focus on are those with positive earnings revisions, strong balance sheets, strong free cash flow, rather than companies with lots of promise and few profits. I think we're all on the same page here. I don't think she said anything as nutty. I think her best line was crypto is a cult. (laughs) Um, Crypto is no, and she did not say this, but this is my own addition. Crypto is no more valuable than monopoly money. Do you remember as a child playing Monopoly and you'd sneak that $500 bill? You'd try to cash it in with your mother or father later in the day or week. Never worked for me either. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. If you have questions about what I do, I work with EP Wealth. You can find links to what I do at robblackshow.com. I put up a long-form commentary with strategists from EP Wealth. Adam Phillips yesterday. It was late in the afternoon. You can find it at YouTube. Just Google in Rob Black Show and you'll find some long form commentary on the economy. For more information about EP Wealth, visit robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.